When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, it's so great to see you all this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Before I jump into the message, let me do just kind of a quick announcement. I think it's old news at our church that earlier this year, uh, our leadership announced that uh, we are moving in a direction that all of our weekend services are going to be uh, identical in how they're put together, the songs that we sing and the way that we sing them. Uh, just this week, we, uh, we shared that uh, we believe that now is the right time. There are various reasons love and wisdom have kind of pushed us to, to this point. We think now's the time uh, to make that. And I don't want anybody to be surprised by that. And if you're hearing this for the first time right now, that means that you are not getting our weekly update. And I want that for you because I want you to be in the know. And so go to um, our website. You can do it on your phone right now and sign up for the weekly uh, newsletter or weekly update. Um, or if you'd like some help with that, uh, stop by the Connection Center, and uh, there are people who would love uh, to help you out uh, with that as well. Another thing uh, that I want to let you know about, I don't know if everybody knows, is we started doing something new. I, I really enjoy it. We do a Q&A on Saturday night after the service. So if you're ever interested in that, you can attend the Saturday night service. People can ask any question they want, they, they want and, uh, and I'll do my best to respond. And last night, there was a question that somebody asked, and it was... Um, is what is encouraging you? And I was able to, to share a bunch of things, but one of the things that I shared with the last night's uh, crowd that I want to share with you is that there are some just stunning stories right now. There are some amazing stories going on behind the scenes of, of ministry, the kind of stuff that incredibly humble me, that, uh, believe it or not, move me to tears. And it's the kind of stuff, people aren't ready to share that part of their story yet, and one day they, they will, but right now I, it's, I, you can't share it, but... It's just amazing. It's, 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 the, these, are, these are really, really good stories. And it, and it causes me just to want to say, I've said it before, from the bottom of my heart, for those of you who pray with and for our church, for those of you who serve on a ministry team, for those of you who give financially, thank you. I mean, we are doing this together. That's a wonderful thing. And you've heard me say before that our influence and in our ministry really is funded by your generosity. I want to echo what Pastor Rob had to say. And if there's anyone who's like, I'm just not in a position where I can give financially. Listen, I don't want you to feel badly about that. Just keep praying with us and keep praying for us and serve with us. But for those who are, and maybe you're at a place you would kind of figure out, is this a step that I want to take? Is this something that I want to do? I want the water, come on in, the water is fine. I, want to inv- I love, my family loves being engaged in our church this way. I want to invite you to join in and to give and to be a part of this gospel movement that God has blessed us to be a part of. And when these folks are ready to share their stories, I think you're going to be just like me. I think you're going to weep with joy. We are seeing light move in to the darkness. And I love being a part of it. And that's exactly what we're talking about uh, during this holiday season as we're focusing on the story of Jesus. And uh, as we think about the Christmas story, I want to ask you this question to get started today. In the Christmas story, who do you identify with most? Whether you're a reader, whether you're a binge watcher, to get connected with a story, usually it requires that we identify with somebody, with at least one character in the story. So I'm going to put up some old paintings, some images. You tell me who you identify with. Do you identify with anybody here? I, I'm struggling. I, I really can't. I mean, maybe if your kids ever make you feel like you live in a barn, maybe you can relate to this. Um, 
How about this one? It's beautiful, but an angel's never appeared to me. I don't know how to like to relate to these guys. Shepherds are blue-collar guys. If you're more of a blue-collar person, maybe you relate to them. How about this one? I got nothing. I got nothing. But since I'm asking you, who do you relate to in a Christmas story? I got to go old school. I got to throw up this image. And if you know, you know. Who in here? Any Ralphies in here? Anybody wanted? All right. All right. This is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to ask us to look at the Christmas story, but in a new light, and perhaps identify with someone in the Christmas story that you've never thought that you could identify with before. And when we talk about looking at the Christmas story in a new light, it's not because the story needs to be updated. It's not because anything needs to be changed. It's not that facts or the truth has changed. That's nonsense. But whenever we're approaching something that we're really familiar with, and it's everything's kind of expected, it can feel routine, and sometimes we need to be shaken up so we can see what's always been there staring us in the face. And so today, this is our passage, Matthew chapter 2. I want to invite you to grab a Bible, open it up. If you want to use your phone, that's perfectly fine too. I like to do that. The Bible, uh, a lot of you probably know, is broken up into two sections. The first section, the bigger section, is the Old Testament. That's everything before Jesus. Second section is the New Testament that starts with the arrival of Jesus. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's uh, one of four Gospels. These are biographies of Jesus' life. Matthew is a guy who knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He spent time with him for years. And so he's an eyewitness to many of the things uh, that he wrote about. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at what he has to say today. And as you're finding it, as you're scrolling to it, as you're, as you're turning to it, I don't want to like start any, any fights among families right now, but you know that phenomenon that happens in your home where we like walk by dirty dishes or we walk by a full trash can and we don't do anything about it, you know? And it feels it's like, it's like you're lazy. Maybe it's because we're lazy. I don't know. But I don't think it's always that. I think when something is obviously there and we get used to it, It just kind of blends in, and it stops being obvious that it's there. And the same thing happens with the Bible and people who are really familiar with it. There's something that's obviously there, but we get so familiar with it and used to it, it stops being obvious that it's there. Picking up in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Where we're picking up in the story, the the account that Matthew is giving us, Jesus is not a little baby in the manger. He's probably one to two years old. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now the question is, so Herod's disturbed, and we're going to dig into why that was the case, but why would all of Jerusalem be bothered because King Herod is bothered? You know, if Governor Walls has a bad day, I don't lose any sleep over that. Like, I don't want our president to have a bad day, but if he does, it doesn't affect me. But if there's anybody in here, and you've ever lived with someone, or you've ever had to work closely with someone who could lose it at any minute without any warning, you have a leg up, you kind of you understand Herod was a guy 
on one hand, really easy to admire and respect. He was a talented leader, a really talented leader. He was a builder. The, the temple in Jerusalem that Jesus, that Jesus went to, that Jesus walked in, Herod is the guy who built it. Not only did he build that, he built entire cities. He built port cities with lighthouses. I mean, just the guy was amazingly accomplished. He built things like aqueducts. He built fortresses. He built palaces. I'm telling you, the guy was a talented leader. His problem was not ability. His problem was the need for control. And in some very scary ways, he was a control freak. And maybe you've seen this before. Sometimes it's just people, oftentimes people with high capacity, high capacity people, there's a vulnerability to becoming addicted to, needing, and wanting to have control. And there's an irony here because the need for control always reveals and exposes insecurity. Not sometimes, not most of the time, all the time. The need for control comes with insecurity. Did you know this guy here? Did you know he changed his will four times? He had numerous sons. He killed a bunch of them, not all of them, because he was afraid that they were going to try and take the throne from him. And so eventually his remaining sons, they were so afraid they wouldn't go anywhere near the throne. This cocktail of control and anxiety that possessed him so warped his thinking and intoxicated his mind that he killed multiple wives. He would kill people in the government who he was afraid might instigate a coup. There were times that he would become really jealous of the influence of religious leaders. And it's said that he killed so many rabbis that rabbis didn't want to go anywhere near Jerusalem. He is a man who's a picture of somebody who would do anything that he had to do to protect his power and maintain control. At this point in Matthew's narrative, Herod is probably about 70 years old. He has a painful kidney disease based on some um, ancient documents that talk about his symptoms. Modern doctors, some of them believe he had something called Fournier's gangrene. And he is probably realizing that time is slipping away, that time is short, so he's trying to galvanize and, and coalesce all of his power. And that's when he gets the most disturbing news possible that five miles south of the city, there is a rival king who's just learning to walk. And now maybe we can begin to see why Jerusalem would be disturbed. We have expressions like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If they would have had a motto, it would have been, if Herod is freaking out, we're all freaking out. Because when his insecurity and his need for control flared up, people died. I'm going to turn back to the passage. I'm going to um, pick up where we stopped. Verse 4 it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the story, help out the people who aren't. Did he want to worship Jesus? What did he want to do? He wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill him. And what we're about to see, what we're about to see is, 
is that the real deal, the historic true story of Christmas is going to turn violent. Because Christmas brings about a collision of rival forces that want to be in control. And sometimes the struggle to want to be in control, it can get ugly, can it? This is, the, this is a chance for you guys to be honest with me. Is there anybody in here who can say, there's a time I wasn't getting my way and I wanted my way and I tried to get in control and as I was doing that, something ugly came out of me. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? Not just me, some of us, a few of us. There are three honest people came to church today. <laughs> Y'all need Jesus. Well, let me do an easier question. Have you ever seen it in somebody else? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, we see it in other people. <laughs> it's dark, isn't it? It's ugly. We see the darkness in us. Last week, if you were here last week, this is what we said. Christmas is an escape. It's an invasion. And the dominant metaphor that's used to describe the arrival of Jesus is that light has come into the darkness. It is invading. It is intruding the darkness. The light is coming and it is pushing out all the causes of distress and despair. And when Jesus brings light, He brings hope and joy and peace and healing to all that is broken. Last week we also said this, the metaphor of light means that God is with us and God is for us. What does that mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus came like a genie wanting to sprinkle fairy dust on us. He came as a king. And He is a good king. And He is a good king, the authority, who wants to be with us, who is for us, but he won't be dictated to by us. He won't be manipulated by us. He won't be coerced. He's not going to be coerced by our moral performance, by our religious performance and lifestyle. He's never going to be coerced into getting with our agenda. I want you to hear me. He is so eager to bring joy. He is so, he is, his eagerness to bring joy to your life and to my life is beyond our ability to truly comprehend. But it's only available to those who would submit to him as the king. And I don't know how much of this Herod understood, but he understood enough that this rival king threatened his control, and so he wanted to kill him. And he was filled with anxiety as he could feel the control slipping away. Jesus' arrival will rival our need for control. And what we're talking about today, this isn't a history lesson. This is a personal lesson. And my hope is that we would let the true story of Christmas scan us almost like a spiritual MRI. All right, so this is, I'm going to ask some vulnerable questions here. Is there anyone in here who would say, Rick, truth be told, I'm a bit of a control freak? Anybody? All right, we got, there we go. The honesty is warming up. Now, there might be some of us, Rick, who would say, Rick, I'm not a control freak. I'm more of a control enthusiast. Anybody? <laughs> I'm a connoisseur of the controlling of things. All right. I don't want to make anybody mad today. I don't want to offend anybody. But I'm going to risk it with what I say next. Because what we're going to do is going to, for those of you who said risk, that's me, it's going to be a little hard. To the extent, to the extent that you and I need control, there's a little bit of Herod in us. To the degree that you need to be in control. To the degree that you don't know how to be okay if you don't get your way. 
to the degree that you need to be in control and I need to be in control, to the degree that we don't, need, we don't know how to be okay if we don't get our way, we are Herod. And we're probably not killing people, but we're doing other things that are expression of darkness. We can be pushy. We can be bullies. We can raise our voice or we could go with the silent treatment. We could be aggressive or we could be passive aggressive. There are all kinds of things. We can just kind of try to overwhelm people. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do I need to go through all this? You guys know. You guys know. We know. And to the extent that that is in us, to that extent, we're here at And I don't want to make any assumptions about anybody in here this morning. I do want to tell you the truth about me. And there's something inside of me that wants to be in control and wants to get my way. There's something inside of me. I want to wear the crown. Does this look stupid? Do I look dumb? You can laugh at me. You can laugh at me. That's fine. Let me ask you. What do you think you look like when you grab at control? What do you think you look like when you try to wear the crown? Truth is, it's pretty silly. But it's worse than that. When you and I try to be in control, we try to, we try to impose our way, we try to wear the crown. It's ugly. My hope today, and this is my agenda today, is to let all the Herods in the room know, and I am one, my goal today is to let all the Herods in the room and, and watching online know that there is a better way. That it's possible to just rest in the joy that Jesus gives. Today is about pivoting from the darkness and the need to grab at control and turning to the light and receiving joy. And believe it or not, our need for control and our grasping at control is a huge enemy to our joy. And as our need for control goes down, our capacity for joy goes up. This week I was reminded of how urgent uh, this is. It's not just urgent, it's everywhere. Uh, David Wallace Wells is a journalist. He wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times. It's based on quite a bit of research uh, that he's done. I want to share with you part of it. This week he wrote this. According to something called the General Social Survey, the share of Americans describing themselves as very happy fell about 40% between 2018 and 21 and has only halfway recovered since. The share of Americans who described themselves as not too happy roughly doubled in the early pandemic and has barely declined since. This is this is serious. The number of people who are saying they're happy has gone down. The number of people saying they're not happy has gone up. It's not really getting better. What does he attribute this to? He says, the pandemic shattered a lot of illusions of control. The pandemic caused a sudden increase in pessimism that hasn't gone away. I've spent time talking with quite a few pastors around this state, pastors around our country. You know what they're saying? They're saying, that's exactly what we see. This is what's going on. Now, there was, there's something that broke in people. There's something that, that's broken in, in lots of us. Now, there's something that happened over the past several years that our illusion of control crumbled into dust 
And people who like that illusion of control don't know how to be okay. And a lot of people, maybe even some of us, maybe probably even me, became a darker version of ourselves and we don't know how to get back. I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to wear the crown. You don't have to be in control to have amazing joy in you. I want to put this on the screen because I want us to see these words. They are the Magi. After the Magi heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, what were they? Overjoy. That's when you have so much joy you can't contain it. It's leaking out. It's flooding out. They're overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've been looking at Herod for a quick minute. I want us to look at the Magi, and I want to look at what the response is when you meet the true king and you trust him. They worshipped him. And they were filled with joy. And that sparks a question for me. And I want to share this question with you. What's the difference between those who resist and those who worship at Christmas? Herod was a resistor. What's the difference between those who resist and those who worship at Christmas? And here's how I want us to think about resistors. Resistors preserve, protect, and control. That's what they're about. Preserve, protect, and control. And some of us might look at that and go, that doesn't seem too bad. Is that really that bad? I think it can be. I want to suggest today, this might sound crazy, but I want to suggest that there are a lot of people who are resisting Jesus and they think they're worshiping him. There are a lot of people who might even be singing in church services and it's an expression of resisting, not an expression of worship. And if you think that's crazy, let me show you a picture. This is something I stumbled across online and when I found it, there are all kinds of Christians saying, this is the gospel, you could preach all kinds of sermons on this, this is great. Not so fast. You got this little girl holding a tiny teddy bear. And Jesus says, just trust me. And behind his back, he's got a bigger teddy bear. What is she doing? Preserving, protecting, and controlling. Now, this presents Jesus as if you trust him, if you follow him, he's going to give you a bigger, better version of whatever it is you want. And can I suggest today that the light did not come into the darkness so that we could get a bigger teddy bear? And if we are approaching Jesus and we're trying to be faithful, we're trying to be obedient, and we're trying to live the life because we are hoping, because we're trying to get Jesus to give us something, even something good that we want. This is what I want to say to you today. We're trying to wear the crown and we're treating Jesus like he's a servant in our kingdom. And there's a term for this approach. It's called the prosperity gospel. And there are multiple versions of the prosperity gospel that have snuck into the church and snuck into church people's ways of thinking. Let me show you a few. You probably know this one, the health and wealth prosperity gospel. If I'm faithful enough, if I'm obedient enough, if I do the right things, God is going to give me the health that I want and the wealth that I want. And there are hucksters on TV who are getting rich off of this. But you're savvy and you probably see through that. That's not the only version. There's the marriage and family prosperity gospel. And the marriage and family prosperity gospel is if I'm, 
if I'm faithful enough, if I'm obedient enough, if I pray enough, if I do all the things that Jesus wants me to do, if I follow his way, if I'm single, then he's going to give me a spouse. Or if I am married and I don't like my spouse, he's going to turn them into a better version of themselves. Or if I have kids, my kids are going to be happily obedient and they're never going to doubt and they're going to share my faith when they're little and even when they're grown-ups. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. But if we are approaching Jesus in faith and obedience because we're expecting Him to give us that, I need you to know that's not the gospel. There's nothing wrong with wanting those good things, but we don't use Jesus as a servant to serve up our good agendas. There's the purity and sexual prosperity gospel. And there are a lot of people around my age demographic, they were broken by this one. And it's this, is that if you're single, you kind of just wait and you abstain from sex and you kind of do all the things and you follow Jesus. And then one day you're going to get married and he's going to bless you with the most amazing sex life ever. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that, but you're using Jesus as a servant for your agenda. That's not the gospel. There's the cultural prosperity gospel. If I have enough faith and I, and I do the right things and I, and, I, and I do all the obedient Christian stuff and things that are out of control, I can get it under control in my church and the local school system and the government. And there's nothing wrong with wanting good things in any of those spaces. There's nothing wrong with the good things we've talked about. But we don't come to Jesus in faith and trust and obedience so that he'll give us a bigger, better version of this thing that we want. The prosperity gospels are attempting to snatch the crown off of Jesus' head and put it on ours. We don't come to Jesus and let go so that he'll give us a bigger, better version of this good thing we want. We come to Jesus. Come on now, that's great. Let's just enjoy that. Let's just enjoy that. Woo. Don't be embarrassed. I'm tell- How many parents, who's the parents in here? How many of your kids have ever done something you're like, oh my goodness, are people looking at me? It's a joy. It's a joy. Oh my gosh. All right. What are we talking about? We come to Jesus. You know why we let go of control? Not so we can get a bigger teddy bear. Not so that he'll give us this thing that we want. So that we get Jesus. So that we know Him. So that we experience Him. Because we love Him. That's worship. Worshipers submit, give, and enjoy. I want you to notice that the, the Magi came and they bowed down and they worshipped Him. They were in awe. They recognized that they weren't just in the presence of greatness, but ultimate greatness. And that this rival king was better than Herod in every way. And by the way, he's a better king than me and he's a better king than you. And they bowed down in humility and submission. You are the king. You are the authority, not me. And they gave as an expression of delight, as an expression of affection and joy, We honor you. That's worship. Why did the Magi know that we need to know? The people with the least control have the most joy. Here it is a case study, and having all the power and having all the control is not fulfilling at all. And the Magi show us 
that having control and having power and having authority are not necessary ingredients at all in having overwhelming, big-time joy. So my question to you is today, which gift would you rather have? The gift of being in control or the gift of joy? Sometime after the Magi left, God came to Joseph in a dream and warned him that they were not safe. So he and Mary and the young Jesus uh, fled to Egypt as refugees so that they could be safe. Herod doesn't really know what's going on. He just knows the Magi tricked him. They, they're not coming back to him. He feels like control is really slipping away, so he enacts the nuclear option. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. As I read these, I I, I let myself read these words while thinking of images of kids from the Ukraine and Gaza and Israel. Because struggles for control... They come with casualties, don't they? Whether we're talking about the big out there stuff or the interpersonal stuff. Struggles for control. They come with casualties. So if you're a note taker, I want to write this down. At some point, our need to control will hurt people. And some of us might say, Rick, I don't know, that feels a little overstated. Well, maybe you're right. I could be wrong on this one. But could I ask, is there anybody in here who could say, I don't have any, any stories in my life wherever I try to kind of get in control and I accidentally hurt people. Is there anybody who doesn't have a story like that? How many of us could say, you know what, there's stories in my life where somebody else trying to be in control, they hurt me and they wounded me. At some point, our need to be in control will hurt people. So how do we know? How do we know if we're the, if we're the people who can... rest in the joy that Jesus gives because he's the king. And we just rest, rest in his authority, rest in his control, let him be the boss. How do we know if we're that person? Or if we're the person who's still trying to wear the crown? One thing we could do, so you could find the people in your life who you know love you, who have your back, who don't want to hurt you, but they love you enough to tell the truth. Do you have somebody in your life like that? I hope you do. You could ask them questions like these. Do you ever observe that I get angry when I don't don't have control or get my way? Um, Do you ever observe that I use unkind speech, yelling or harsh tones when I don't have control or get my way? Are we still friends? (laughs) Do you ever observe that I use the silent treatment when I don't have control or get my way. Do you, observe, do you ever observe that I use guilting or shaming tactics when I don't have control or get my way? Do you ever observe that I use passive aggressiveness when I don't have control or get my way? Do you ever observe that I'm just not able to be at peace and to have joy when I don't have control and I don't get my way? I want my response to be more like the Magi than like Herod. The problem is, Herod comes naturally to me. And I don't want to be a resistor. I want to be a worshiper. 
And I don't want to just worship when things are great, and I don't want to treat Christmas and the holiday season like it's a temporary escape from the darkness that's in me and the darkness that I'm in. I want the light that Jesus brings to invade my darkness. As I read those questions to you, I mean, it is just glaringly obvious to me that I need the leadership of Jesus over me and over my leadership. He is so much better at wearing the crown than me. And I want to be the kind of person who remembers this. Because he is in control, we don't need to be. Because he's in control, we don't need to be. So this is, this is how we can take this and really weave it into our life. I'm going to give you something that can count as a spiritual practice. This is how we can weave it into our everyday life. Remember that I said that the need for control and the desire to grasp at control is always connected to insecurity. So I want you to do three things, three easy steps. Number one, when you're feeling the need for control, I want you to sit down. And I want you to write down, what are you insecure about? What are you afraid of? What are you concerned is going to go wrong? What, what are you concerned about if you don't get your way, if you don't get to be in control, if you can't, if you, what are you concerned is going to happen? It might take a little bit of time. That's okay. Give yourself the time you need. That's step one. Step two, I want you to say it out loud in prayer. Just tell Jesus, Jesus, this is why I think you need to put me in charge. Jesus, this is what I'm concerned about. Jesus, this is what I'm afraid of. There's a guy who knew Jesus uh, personally. He walked with him for years, the Apostle Peter. If there's anybody who knew insecurity and anxiety, it was Peter. I think it's 1 Peter 5.17. He said this, cast all your anxieties on Jesus. Do you know why? Because he cares for you. So write it down. Say it out loud in prayer. Here's the third thing. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you permission. You don't need it. I'm giving you permission. I'm inviting you to do whatever it is you want to do in me in this situation. And this is how we open up our hands and we let go of control and we simply be with Jesus. And we rest and we trust the joy that he gives. And if there's anybody in here, maybe you've been coming for a little while, you've been getting your questions asked and you're trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing and you know, you know, you know, you know your story better than I know your story. You know, you don't need to be wearing the crown. You know you are not the best leader of your life. You're beginning to see that Jesus is the light and those who trust in him will not walk in darkness but will walk in the light of life. Today is a day that you can say, Jesus, I'm ready to let go and trust you and give you my life. Romans 10, 9, it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. If you are ready to say, Jesus, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. I want to give my life to you. I want you to be the king and leader of my life. You could pray that right now where you are. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray for all of us. For those of us who have been following him a long time and we just need to let go of control. For those of us who today is the day that we're ready to follow him. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, that you are bringing light to our darkness. You are good. God, for those in the room who just need to let go, 
and need to confess Jesus as Lord and trust him with their lives. God, I pray, I pray that you would give them what they need, that they would turn and trust Jesus right now. Again, for those of us who know him, but we keep wanting to grab the crown back, God, would you give us the ability to just breathe and rest and relax and the joy that he is in control, that he is the king and we are not. And it's in his name we pray, amen.